Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. And so when we are running uh, to church on Sunday mornings, uh, Heather and I are fond. We have a little game we play, which is called Spot the Clergy. And you can almost always spot the clergy on their way to work on Sunday morning because they're typically going about 15 miles per hour faster than everybody else. But this morning has been a beautiful one, and I have had occasion uh, this past week to celebrate. Uh, I officiated a wedding for a beloved friend out on the lake shore, and was reminded of the key importance of hospitality and gratitude and its centrality to the work of our church and the work of Jesus Christ. And so in that spirit, let us go ahead and pray together. Holy God, Holy Spirit, descend like a dove upon your people once more. Fill us with fresh fire and send us a word. Amen. We practice hospitality in churches uh, and for a lot of different reasons that word hospitality has kind of lost a little bit of its salt. When we think of hospitality sometimes we think of you know setting out the the tea kettle and the doilies and it's all very kind of it is a, a very kind of passive activity. And so in the United Church of Christ, we try to kind of make it a little bit more hip and cool. So we talk about radical hospitality. And I don't, I don't know how good of a job that does. Uh, because radical hospitality, those two words typically don't go together. Um, and we see both sides of that coin in today's two readings. First from the book of Genesis, this amazing story about hospitality entertaining God, entertaining God in the form of these three strangers and giving what they have, what little meager food they have, Abraham and Sarah to these strangers and then returned, uh, to a, returning to a blessing that is impossible for them. And likewise, in the gospel reading, Jesus Christ, so often a guest in so many homes and in so few hearts. But here he finds his family. Recall that Mary and Martha are not just two sisters who entertain Jesus once. They are his home. They become his family. Lazarus, their brother, becomes like a beloved disciple to him. And so through this practice of hospitality, adoption is created. Well, when I was at this wedding, I saw this couple that had been uh, together for many years. Finally, I don't know, worked up the courage to tie the knot. They were both older than me. I was delighted by it. And uh, when I saw their faces looking at each other, there in front of that altar on Lake Michigan, my entire wedding sermon went out of my head. I couldn't remember a thing I was going to say. But when I looked at their eyes... I saw something there, and it was nothing more than gratitude. They were possessed by a spirit of intense gratefulness, I think for each other, but also to God for for having got them there. And so I simply said, I think the foundation of all healthy marriages is gratitude. Practice gratitude with your spouse. But gratitude for strangers is a much different sort of thing. And it's a much harder thing to cultivate in our spirits. In both of these stories today, in both of these lessons, we're being told by God that being grateful for the presence of strangers is a key that unlocks blessings. And the core action of being grateful for strangers is showing them 
hospitality. One of the greatest challenges that I've faced in working with churches, and now I've worked with dozens of churches around this issue, is the way in which they see or view hospitality as a duty rather than an opportunity. So I've said to often to churches, you know, it's important that you don't charge people rent or this isn't an Elks Lodge, you know, hospitality to strangers will unlock abundance and blessing and it will introduce you to new people. But it's gratitude for their presence that helps them understand that they're the blessing that we seek. Once when I lived in a city with a massive homelessness crisis, I was part of a movement called Housing First. We believed together that the, step, uh, the first step to ending housing insecurity or a lack of housing or having no housing was to give people housing. It didn't seem like that big of a concept, but man, it was really hard sell. And I was confronted by one of the members of the council of this town, the city really, and they said, Pastor, if we just start giving people housing for free, aren't you concerned that people who are homeless or sleeping rough from all over the, maybe all over the state are going to flood in to take advantage of this program? And I said, that is probably the best case scenario. And he said, I'm sorry? I said, would I could wave a magic wand and relocate every single homeless man, woman, and child to this city, I would do it immediately. The difference between his way of thinking and mine was that he viewed the homeless population in his city as a burden. And I see them as an asset. Because what I know is that the average homeless person is homeless for less than a week. I know that over 60% of them are employed and have a job. I know that most of them have skills that we don't have. I've told you before the story about the great and grand soup kitchen that came to calamity because the people in the soup kitchen were well-meaning middle-class Americans who'd never cooked anything bigger than a Thanksgiving turkey in their life here feeding hundreds of people, and they're out there, their guests were line cooks and service workers and people who had been in diner kitchens for decades, people who could cook food for thousands just sitting there waiting to be fed. And so we flipped the script. I put them in the kitchen. I put the people in the kitchen back out to be fed, and it became something beautiful. So this question of how we view the poor, how we view strangers, and whether we view them as an asset or a liability is central, central to the message of Jesus Christ. And central to that message is that no person is a liability and that everyone is an asset. Recall we recently heard the story of the Gerasene demoniac and we preached about that. That man so possessed by illness and demon that his city had taken him and chained him to a tomb. And Jesus saw him for what he was, which was an evangelist. That's what he became. He became an evangelist, the first evangelist to the people of his, of his city, to the Gerasenes. But they viewed him as a liability. When we do that, when we make the mistake of viewing strangers, whether they be the poor or immigrants, or whether they be addicted to drugs, or whether they be little bitty babies, 
or whether they be people in their 90s and their hundreds as liabilities instead of assets, we miss the miracle. Well, how is a baby an asset and not a liability? I've got a baby. That baby costs a lot of money. That baby is a lot of work. It is hard. I don't sleep because of that baby. But I'll tell you what, you take a mm, grouchy person in their 80s, you hand them a baby, and they completely transform into the happiest person you've ever met. That's a pretty cool trick. I don't think I know of anything other than a baby that can do that. Likewise, I know a man in his 90s, and at least once a week, I go and sit with him. And he's in a, I think they call it a memory care facility. I haven't been able to sit with him as much as I'd like because of COVID. It's hard to get in there. I get to pull a few strings because I'm clergy. And you know, he was, a, he was a, uh, a communication worker union organizer in the 40s. In the 50s, during the great labor struggles. And all he does, all, and all I want him to do is sit and tell me about the work that he did in Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York City. And he does. And every day I leave, that, every time we have that conversation, I leave feeling like I just had a semester of college for free. I, you, in fact, you couldn't go to college and pay for that knowledge. But the world views that man as a liability and not an asset. What a, what a shame. So there was a time in a church that I worked where there were many people sleeping rough and a snowstorm was coming. And we knew that we wouldn't have enough beds. We just finished putting the final touches and cutting the ribbon on a new fellowship hall. And it was a fancy one. It was nice. It was functional. And that week, that snowstorm came. And the members of that church had a relationship with the folks who slept rough out in the park. And they said, we know what we have to do. We don't want to do it, but we have to. So they opened their doors for a week. And they brought 60, 70 people in. And the first time they used their new fellowship hall was to take people off the streets so they didn't die during that snowstorm. And my God, it was hard. About halfway through that week, I said, this is the thing that's going to do it. They're going to fire me. There's no, there's no, this is so hard. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm writing invoices to the municipal government that they didn't ask for because they needed to pay for this. This was their error. They did pay. But one thing I'll never forget, the fourth night, it was bitterly cold, and we were all exhausted completely worn to the bone, and we had two nights to go. And I was sitting in the lobby of that church, and, it, and a man, I think he may have been in his middle 20s, had tattoos and piercings, and he approached me, and I thought, you know, what is he going to ask for? The amount of people that asked us for hotel rooms was just colossal, and we couldn't do it. But he approached me, and he said, Father, and I was too tired to correct him. Just call me Nathan, I'm tired. He said, Father, my two friends and I want to celebrate. Uh, we want to take uh, communion. We want to take Lord's Supper. Um, can we do that, or is that only for Mass? And I said, oh, no, of course we can't. 
His two friends and I, we gathered in the vestry of that church, that little room adjoining this, this, the, the sanctuary. And we sat down, and the four of us there, and I took the cup, and I broke the bread, and I told them the story, and we prayed together. And his friends, their eyes were filled with joy. His eyes were filled with tears of joy that ran down his cheeks. And I know who that young man was. I think that I will see him again someday. But it was the choices that we had to make to open the doors to strangers, even in the face of a world that tells us that strangers are a hostile liability. I've said this before, and I know that I sound like a broken record. But first-generation immigrants commit violent crimes at half the rate of the native-born population. And they are more than twice as likely to be the victims of violent crimes. That same statistic holds true for the homeless in our cities. Homeless people commit violent crimes at half the rate of the non-homeless, but are astronomically more likely to be targeted by predators and by people who mean them harm. So we do ourselves a favor when we bring them in. We do ourselves a favor when we see them and say, you are a miracle formed in the very image of God. You are a living icon of our Creator. And in your face, I see the face of Jesus Christ Himself. How can I serve you? And in so doing, we unlock the door to a life for the ages, which is the thing that Jesus tells us we must seek out. That is the kingdom of God. So, Mary and Martha doing work, practicing hospitality, all of these things have a place in our life. But when the world comes to you, the petty, small voices of the world, and says, here is a category of people of whom you should be afraid, you need to respond to the world with the gospel promise that I have nothing to fear, that Jesus Christ is my guide and my light, and I refuse to see you as an enemy. It's a hard lesson. It's a hard one. It is one that I need to remind myself of every single day. But that doesn't change the truth of the matter. That we are all of us, one people, not because we share the same beliefs, or because we come from the same country, or because we are of the same culture, but because we have the same Creator. And nothing can change that. So be brave this week. Love recklessly, as we say. Practice radical hospitality in whatever way you find. But keep your eyes open. Don't miss the miracle. There's angels. There's prophets. There are all of these amazing people out there just waiting to be shown a little bit of love and hospitality. And that's what we can do. That's what we can do. Those are our gifts, brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen.